Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this episode, we're going to talk internal talent mobility and the influence of the gig economy on the workforce. My guest this time is the amazing, awesome, wonderful Edie Goldberg, PhD, founder and president of EL Goldberg and Associates in sunny Menlo Park, California. She is a nationally recognized expert in talent strategy and organizational effectiveness, and she's the co-author of The Inside Gig, How Sharing Untapped Talent Across Boundaries Unleashes an Organizational Capacity. Edie holds a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology and serves on the board of the Sherm Foundation. She is the recipient of HR People and Strategies Lifetime Achievement Award. What? She's so famous for contributions she has made to her profession. In 2020, Edie was recognized as one of the top HR executives in Silicon Valley to follow on social media. And in 2021, she was named one of the top 100 HR influencers. So totally famous, major celeb on the show today, listeners. Edie, it's my pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. I am really excited to be here and all those accolades just crack me up. I'm just a, a, a person who's deeply passionate about the work that I do. And uh, I, I thank you for having me on your show. Well, it is uh, all my honor. And um, let's get straight into the questions. Firstly, Edie, how has the gig economy changed the way many organizations manage their people now? They manage their people and, of course, manage their company culture. Uh, two very different things. Uh, you know, with respect to managing their people, the gig economies really provide the companies with a lot of flexibility. And, you know, how they manage their, their capability, the capacity to get kind of project, more project-based work done. So as we've kind of, you know, moved into much more of a knowledge-based economy, it's much more likely that we are to think in terms of getting a project done. So something that has a definitive timeline, a definitive outcome that we're reaching. And the, the research that I've looked at in terms of why people, you know, hire gig workers, it's really generally three things. One, speed, trying to get work done more quickly, more hands on deck helps us get it done more quickly. Uh, the second is actually quality. Um, there's a lot of talent that simply doesn't want to work for a company. And the only way you can tap into that talent is by hiring them on a project basis if they're interested in doing that kind of work. So, so access to quality talent is another reason why people hire gig workers. And then the third, of course, is just is capacity. Um, you know, we may have to step up or, or, or slow down at different times and having people who work on contract on, on different projects, it really enables companies to kind of turn on and off their talent needs as their business conditions change. So that's, you know, kind of how they're managing talent uh, in, you know, within the gig economy. Culture is a little bit more tricky because it depends on, well, first off, 
how are you embracing this talent and how are they part of your organization? Some companies, you know, hire them through procurement and they're kind of treated as a widget, which I think is the worst thing that you can do unless it's really just something completely replaceable. I think a lot of the gig talent that we hire ends up being kind of central to the strategy of the business and trying to get really important work done, in which case onboarding people with a sense of the company culture, understanding the core values, how we operate as a business, that's really important. And so I'm a big proponent of saying, you know, talent acquisition ought to own the onboarding of most of these gig workers. Um, I think historically, you know, we've had administrative help that we've hired on contract basis that always went through procurement. But I think the way we access talent has changed. And so the way we ought to think about you know, bringing them on board and integrating them in the company has to change too. We'll be right back to this interview after this quick message from Tyler Muse and his team over at Lingo Live. I'm Tyler Muse, and this is Groundwork, a show about chief people officers from the world's fastest growing companies. It's a tough job and high growth companies are not for the faint of heart. We get to know them on a human level, how they became the leaders they are today, how they've navigated their toughest challenges, and how they envision the future of work. Groundwork, the new show from Lingo Live. Find us online at groundwork.show. You mentioned there that often gig workers become central, they become integral to a a project. Does that mean then that they should also be encouraged to embrace the company culture, the, the camaraderie, the, the the learning from teammates, um, what's going on in terms of developments w- within that company? Or do they not want that in a way? So it's kind of a moot point because they want to work more autonomously or is it not a priority of HR or is it something else? You know, at a time where our skill sets in the workplace are changing all the time, learning and growth has never been more important. And the research on how gig workers differ from full-time employees is very interesting in that gig workers engage in a lot more development because it's important for them to kind of stay on top of their trade, to, you know, stay on top of everything that's going on. I'm, you know, I, I also do a lot of work around, you know, performance management and reimagining performance management. And this question keeps coming up of, you know, should gig workers be part of our performance management process? And of course, because you technically don't control their work, you know, from a legal perspective, they're not really supposed to be part of that. But if the whole purpose of you know having people as part of your organization, whether they're full-time employees or gig workers, is you know to advance the company to help us do better work. I think you know managing individual and organizational performance is all about the talent uh, broadly that you have access to. So I think bringing you know depending on how long of a project they're in 
you know, working with your organization, I think bringing them into the fold a bit more, helping them understand how you operate uh, and integrating them into some of those development experiences that are appropriate and important for getting their work done. This is all in service of driving organizational performance. And so if integrating them into some of that uh, training is important, then why not bring them in for that? Why not bring them in for that, listeners? Share the love, share the learnings. Um, and what about if we swap it around then, Edie, and, and, and some of the learnings for, uh, for the salaried employees from, from the gig economy? In your book, The Inside Gig, you offer a new talent operating model that helps companies apply learnings from, from the gig economy, but within the organization. And the idea is to break jobs into a series of projects and then offer those to employees beyond the scope of their usual day-to-day roles so that they can choose what work interests them and and then they contribute to those projects and help them hopefully that makes them you know learn and grow and and leverage those skills and interests and they can take those in in new directions um sounds awesome i I think later on maybe we'll have to break down how much time we can allow salary employees to do these almost extracurricular projects but um tell us a bit more about this concept yeah i think you know the last year and a half or almost you know going on two years now that we've been uh experiencing with the pandemic has been this amazing proof point of how if we operate in a more flexible agile manner with our talent we can get really critical projects done in our company. So during the pandemic, companies all of a sudden had all these critical burning issues, new projects that had to get done. All of a sudden we had to, you know, transform something to new digital technology because, you know, nobody wants to touch anything anymore. Uh, And companies were trying to figure out how do we move talent from their current roles in onto these projects. And, the idea of being able to more dynamically match the skills of the people that you have to the work that has to get done, that's what the inside gig is really all about. It's about taking the concepts from the gig economy and moving it into your organization. My early research you know, showed that in addition to kind of being my own boss, why why people, you know, go to become a freelancer to work on my own terms. People also do engage in freelance work because they want diversity and choice in the work that they do. So my thought was, why can't we provide that same kind of experience within a company? And you know, I've also been involved in doing career development or career management philosophies with, with organizations for a long time. And the biggest problem we've had in managing careers and companies is people can never get insight into how they can apply their skills elsewhere in the company. So if my manager knows about a, a new, you know, job opening probably either within my team, maybe within my function, maybe I can find out about that. But understanding how my skills apply in a completely different part of the organization is just not something 
managers generally have line of sight to, so they can't help their employees understand how else they could develop their career. So there's a saying, it's much easier to find a different job in a different company than it is to find a different job within your own company. And I always thought that was such a shame. And I worked with, you know, Fortune 100 companies who had lots and lots of employees, yet people would have to leave to get a new job rather than finding another job within their own company. I think by leveraging internal gigs within an organization, people can explore potential pivots in their career within their own company. They can also opt into working on a project that can help facilitate their their learning and their growth. So, you know, as skill sets are changing quickly in our workplace, employees know that to be remain employable, it's important that we're constantly kind of looking at how do we upgrade our skills? How do we learn something new? Well, by working on a project in an area that you've never worked on before gives you exposure to new things. And then we get to learn in the flow of work. So all of this uh, need around helping employees to see other opportunities within the company, helping employees to learn and grow in the flow of work can all be done by offering people, you know, small projects within the organization to get really important work done. This isn't busy work. This isn't getting the important work done of our company. But, you know, our employees have so much skills and experiences that they bring to the workplace with them. And then we put them in a box called their job and we don't let them do anything else. You know, people have passions and careers and interests that are outside of their day-to-day job responsibilities, but we don't allow them to tap into that at work. But sometimes those skills might be really important to a project going on in the company, and they could leverage those skills to make an impact in the company. And everybody wants to have an impact. So allowing people a little bit more like you're free to roam about the country uh, is a great way of creating a better employee experience, allowing employees to bring their full selves to work, and providing opportunities to learn and grow. You mentioned that part of your answer there, uh, you said that managers didn't really have a clear line of sight on on what some of these benefits could be to the company, or at least not in the short term. Um, but what they do get, I guess, Edie, is, uh, is numbers. Um, so if, if you were to say to, to a manager um, how much time, say, per week uh, one of their employees should get to work on these, these internal gigs, as, as you call them, um, what, what would you say to them? And, and how, how can employers ensure that the, the day job of, of, of that employee, so to speak, is, is still getting done? So the short answer to your question is I would say the best practice is no more than 20% of your time. So employees can... And sometimes we're working on a project and it's slow, you know, because we're waiting for feedback from somebody else. We might have a little bit of bandwidth to go work on something else for a few hours. 
So we're not talking about abandoning your job. And what's interesting is, you know, I studied a lot of the kind of early pioneers in this area before I really started doing a lot of consulting in this area. And nobody has had a problem with people not doing their day job. This, these are people who, you know, really find something that they're very interested in. And the research on employee engagement says that when employees are deeply engaged, they're much more productive. And we know that employee engagement at work is pretty low, like 64% of employees aren't engaged at work. So that means a lot of companies are leaving a lot of productivity on the table. And so if people were to find projects that they were deeply engaged in, they would, they, they get into what we call flow or they're much more focused. They're really, really productive during the time that they're working on these other projects. So it doesn't have to be a ton of time, but if I'm really into it, then I can add a lot of value uh, in that time period. Let's talk about advancements in technologies then. Uh, I've got a, a long quote from you here, actually, but um, I think it says it all. It, 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 we're now going to talk a little bit about uh, VC investments in companies over the last couple of years and how that's exploded, but perhaps not proportionally. Um, so here's the quote for you before the, before the question um, by you as well. Uh, advancements in technology combined with a quickly changing business landscape have made the pandemic a perfect time to launch a new company. In fact, venture capital investing reached a high of 130 billion US dollars in 2020, a 14% rise from 2019. But women receive only about 4.4% of VC investments, despite the fact that women-founded companies generate 10% more revenue than their male-founded counterparts. You go on to ask, Edie, are we really going to continue to leave women out of this in investment bonanza? So my question then is, so, so why are women not benefiting enough from investments right now? What, what more needs to change? So I, I think a lot of the listeners here are aware that we have been experiencing what we call a she session. Uh, this recession uh, that we have been experiencing globally has been negatively impacting women more than men. Uh, and in fact, right now we're experiencing the lowest uh, rate of participation in the workforce by women uh, than we've ever experienced. And it is true that when women get kicked out of the workforce uh, because of um, kind of work-life integration challenges, uh, they don't really necessarily leave the workforce. Sometimes they leave and they create a business that lets them work on their own terms, which I 100% applaud them to do. But unfortunately, I don't know, in the venture capital world, it's just, I mean, there have been a lot of books written about this. Men don't aren't as eager to invest in women. They don't see themselves in them. And they are more reluctant uh, to invest in them. I have uh, many uh, friends who are uh, startup CEOs and they just, they have a harder time actually getting literally in to be seen uh, to pitch uh, male VC, dominant male VCs. So, you know, my solution or the solution and a solution is to get more women into venture capital. 
uh, last year, actually, I joined a new fund called How Women Invest. And the reason why I joined is because, A, it's about giving women an opportunity uh, their first time to uh, to get into venture investing, so to get into angel investing. And then uh, that organization only supports female founders. And the research shows that female founders hire six times more women than men founders. So if we want to get women back to work, supporting female founders is actually a better path to uh, to helping that happen, as well as to getting funding to those uh, female entrepreneurs. Okay, awesome. Um, you are fighting the good fight, Edie, and DEI is a critical topic for, for most companies today, fortunately, finally. How, how would you hope your ideas are helping to facilitate greater equity and inclusion in the workplace? What a, what a big question, Abe, eh, as we look to wrap up. <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. And I'm really excited about this. You know, for decades, you know, we, we've said we've kind of approached DEI with training. You know, we're going to train people to be more inclusive. And that hasn't really worked. We really need structural changes um, within our organization about how opportunities and experiences are distributed. And that's one of the things that I'm so excited about um, with the concepts behind the Inside Gig. So you can think about my book, The Inside Gig, really as the playbook for implementing a, a talent marketplace technology. And the, uh, the, uh, what is now possible because we have technology is that we can offer up opportunities. We can dynamically match people's skills that they have or interests to opportunities available in the company uh, strictly based on your skills. So all of a sudden, the opportunities that we have in the organization become transparent to everyone. So if you put them on one of these talent marketplaces, then that opportunity becomes visible to all. In the past, sorry, Bill, but it was the, the boys club. You know, it was like if you were connected with the right leaders or if you sat in the right place in the company, you got access to special opportunities. And we all know those people who were constantly getting tapped for the special projects because they were seen as, you know, the high potentials or, you know, they were being mentored by some senior executive. Uh, but now we can tap into all of the talent that we have and we can take those blinders off and strictly look at who has the skills and experiences or the passion and the interest to get this kind of work done. Um, so now we provide equal access and transparency to opportunities in the company. And that is what makes me so excited about, you know, offering up kind of internal gigs um, as an opportunity for people to grow, advance their career, to show their stuff um, and to be more visible in the company. 
Okay, thank you very much. And just finally for today, Edie, how can our listeners connect with you? How can uh, how can they learn more about your book? Maybe get a copy. To tell us more. Well, you can get a copy of the book on Amazon or literally probably any digital book platform. So I encourage you to do that. The Inside Gig by Edie Goldberg and Kelly Stephen Wace. Uh, you can certainly check me out on my website, which is www.elgoldberg.com. And you're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn. I certainly uh, do um, share a lot of ideas and research and uh, trying to keep everybody on top of all the interesting, challenging things going on in the workplace today. Awesome. So Edie, that just leaves me to say for today, thank you so much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you, Bill. It was a delight to be with you. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette. 